Well, thank you. I realized uh, as I was sitting down that I didn't put my slideshow to uh, the point I need to, so I'm going to move this here. Good. Well, good morning, and thank you uh, as a congregation. Thanks to Pastor Eric and the rest of the leadership of the church for giving me an opportunity to uh, open God's Word with you this weekend. Your hospitality and uh, enthusiasm, especially in the Christian Thought Forum, uh, have been a, a tremendous blessing to me. It's also an opportunity for me uh, to wear a tie and shoes, which I don't uh, do very frequently back home in California. Uh, although uh, it doesn't look like uh, you guys wear ties or shoes uh, very frequently either. <laughs> so, no, oh, well. Let me ask you this. Has this ever happened to you? I have four teenagers at home, and this happens in our house very frequently. Uh, I don't know why it is, but my kids just decide that there's no need for dressers and uh, closets and things like that. They just throw all their clothes uh, and anything else all over the floor of their room. And one of my kids asked me, Uh, an interesting question the other day. They said, why do I have to clean up my room if it's just going to get messy again? That kind of makes sense, you know. I thought maybe uh, they're on to something here. Why do I have to to wash my car if it's just going to get dirty again? Or why do I have to... (laughs) Some of you said amen. Uh, Why do I have to fix the plumbing if it's just going to break again? Why do I have to do anything, if in the long run, I'm just fighting a losing battle. Now, how would you answer that question? I thought there's at least three answers that I can give to my kids and to myself as well. Number one, maybe it's not a losing battle. Some battles can be won if we put some effort into it. So maybe if you clean up your room, you'll find that it's a lot easier to keep it clean than it is to have to go back every now and again and spend three hours putting it all back back together again. Or maybe we should work on some things because if we don't maintain them, uh, I'm sorry, because, uh, because those things have value in and of themselves, right? I bought you your clothes. I expect you to treat them with some kind of respect. Or... Maybe uh, we fight these battles because if we don't, things may become much worse uh, in the end. So if I don't fix the plumbing in the house, pretty soon we're going to have a flood and we're not going to be living in the house any longer. Now, it's not too hard for most of us to see the wisdom in these kinds of responses when it comes to keeping the house clean or maintaining the car or whatever it happens to be. But interestingly, it seems many Christians don't see this wisdom when it comes to some other very important topics. The issues are written off as losing causes, even though the scriptures teach that they have inherent value in in and of themselves, that they affect all of our lives, and that ultimately... God is going to win them for good. 
And that's what I want to talk about today. There are major aspects of our lives as people of God in this world that too few Christians take seriously as implications of their salvation. We get stuck on John 3.16. We stop with our personal salvation, with our being born again, with our movement from spiritual death to spiritual life, and we don't move on to embrace the totality of what salvation encompasses biblically. Now, the greater idea of salvation and what it entails is summed up in the idea of the kingdom of God. It's a biblical concept that that integrates the entire scriptures. Our personal redemption or our rebirth is just the beginning point to a life and eventually to an eternity of citizenship in the kingdom of God. In John 3, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You must be born again, but that allows you entrance into the kingdom of God. Um, Paul says something similar in Colossians. God delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. It's the kingdom of God uh, where it's at. Okay? So since the kingdom of God is what salvation is all about, we would do well to consider what this biblical concept is and what it means for our daily lives as its members. Now, let me give you uh, a brief definition of the kingdom of God. It, there's a whole lot more. Somebody who studies Revelation <laughs> uh, could tell you a whole lot more about this. But what I want you to think about is this definition. The kingdom of God is where God's will for the world is being done perfectly. It is where God's virtues are in force. For example, God's righteousness or God's fairness or justice or love or peace. It's where God's values are respected, where the things that God's lo- God loves is loved by those uh, within his kingdom. For example, God's own glory or uh, human dignity or things like truth and beauty. And it's where God's goals are pursued, where God's intentions for the world uh, become the intentions of the people of his kingdom. Things like uh, the reconciliation of God and man or the flourishing of humanity. Now, this concept of the, big, the, the kingdom of God begins in creation. I'm going to put up some slides uh, with the passages here that I'll read. But if you want, you can turn to Genesis 1, and we'll take a look uh, at Genesis 1, 2, and 3 kind of briefly. Uh, here in Genesis 1, it says, God made the beasts of the earth after their kind, and the cattle after their kind, and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God said to them, 
Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God saw all that he had made and behold, it was very good. And the Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden and there he placed a man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. The tree of the life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden to cultivate it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, from every tree of the garden, you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day that you eat from it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man. And he brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So here we get the establishment of God's kingdom, a place where humanity is placed in a good creation to rule as a king under the lordship of God. Okay? And in this original creation, in this original manifestation of God's kingdom, there were three harmonious relationships, three basic relationships that God called good, part of uh, the way the world was supposed to function. On the one hand, man lived in harmony with God. God gave good things to humanity, and uh, Adam, man, humanity, tended those things as God's vice-regent. Secondly, man lived in harmony with his fellow man. The man and his wife were completely open and vulnerable to one another, in mutual respect of one another. And third, man lived in harmony with nature, with his environment. Man didn't struggle against the garden uh, to get his food. The natural order of things sustained man in the world. But I'm sure you know the rest of the story. Things didn't continue that way, right? And so we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 3. The woman said to uh, said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden, we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat or uh, touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, you surely shall not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves loin coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? 
And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. Notice that when mankind rejects the kingdom of God, when man repudiates the lordship of God over him and rejects his rightful place as vice regent in the kingdom of God, that the harmonious relationship between God and humanity is broken. The good relationship between God and man is destroyed in the fall. Secondly, uh, as the story continues, God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave to me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. To the woman, God said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you shall bring forth children. Yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Notice that when mankind rejects the kingdom of God, when man repudiates the lordship of God over him and rejects his rightful place as vice regent in the kingdom of God, that the harmonious relationship between man and his fellow man is broken and one tries to rule over the other one. The story continues in Genesis 3. Then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground because from it you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return. So here again, when mankind rejects the kingdom of God, when man repudiates the lordship of God over him and rejects his rightful place as vice regent in the kingdom of God, the harmonious relationship between man and nature is broken. They struggle with one another. So, in the creation, God established an earthly kingdom with man, mankind, humanity, as its king under the lordship of God. That kingdom included three fundamental good relationships. The relationship of humanity with God, the relationship of man with his fellow man and the relationship of man with nature or man with his environment. But mankind chose to rebel against the overlordship of God and in so doing ruined those three good relationships. In the fallen world, man is opposed to God, man is opposed to his fellow man, and man is opposed to nature. Now, let me ask you this. When Jesus came, when Jesus died on the cross, which of those relationships did he come to reconcile? Which of those relationships did he come to restore? Well, let's take a look at Colossians 1, where I started uh, earlier this morning. For he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And he is the image of the invisible God, 
the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created. All things have been created by him and for him. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. And through him, notice this, to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. God intended all things in creation to be reconciled through Jesus. He intended salvation not only to encompass our own personal reconciliation with God, but the reconciliation or the restoration of the good kingdom that he had established in creation. Okay, salvation is about restoring everything that was lost in the original creation. Now, uh, we see a picture of that uh, in Isaiah chapter 11. Uh, yesterday, I talked about um, the new Jerusalem at the end of Revelation. The new Jerusalem makes this same point uh, quite uh, strongly. But here, I want to take a look at a picture of the kingdom uh, back in the Old Testament in Isaiah 11. Okay, it says, at that time, that is, when God establishes his kingdom, a shoot will spring from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. This is the Messiah. This is Jesse, you know, is the father of David, right? And David is the father or progenitor of the Messiah. So we're talking about when the Messiah shows up, this is the way things are going to be. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And with righteousness, he will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. And the wolf will dwell with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the kid and the nursing child will play on the hole of the cobra. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Notice that in the kingdom of Christ, when Jesus restores the kingdom of God, these three basic uh, relationships will be established. So we see man lives in harmony with God. The whole earth is full of the knowledge of the Lord. Elsewhere it says, uh, one man isn't going to have to say to his neighbor, come, let's know the, nor the Lord, because every man will know the Lord. And uh, here we see man will live in harmony with his fellow man. That is, righteousness and justice will prevail in human relations. And then interestingly, third, man will live in harmony with nature. The child is going to play on the den of the cobra without fear. The lion will lie down with the lamb. So God's plan of salvation then is more than personal redemption. Certainly personal redemption is part of it. But it's much bigger than just personal redemption. It is God's restoration of his good creation back to its proper state. It is returned to these proper relationships. So think of our own salvation. In the biblical view, personal salvation means more than just being rescued from the consequences of our sin. It means 
becoming a citizen of God. It means being returned to the proper relationship that humanity is to have with God. It means uh, being in a relationship where God rules and you live under his lordship. Now, that means that our role as uh, Christians is to live as citizens of the kingdom of God. We are expected to embrace and to represent in the world the virtues and the values and the intentions of God uh, for this world. Now, we often think of uh, the role of Christians once we've been saved is to uh, lead other people to Christ or something like that. And that's correct. That's, that's embracing one of these intentions of God, right? It's helping people to be reconciled to, uh, to God. Um, but as citizens of the kingdom, as a more full-fledged understanding of salvation... God expects us to work toward the restoration of all these broken relationships, not just the relationship of God to man. Now, certainly, uh, that is uh, the highest priority that we have as Christians. Okay? That uh, when we are called into a relationship with God, we have this, what I call, evangelistic mandate. Okay? We are told uh, that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And that doesn't apply only to us. That applies to everybody in the whole world. And we're supposed to try to help people be reconciled with God so that they will love God with their heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the first and greatest commandment. But what's the second commandment? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I often tell my students uh, that they can't graduate from seminary until they can pass the final exam in Theology 101. Now, I don't teach any theology courses. Um, I teach, and this sounds funny, <laughs> I teach Bible courses. Uh, and there's, we debate with the theologians. Uh, uh, we remind them they better stay grounded in the Bible. Um, but by Theology 101, I say there's only... There's only one lecture in Theology 101. In fact, there's only one sentence in Theology 101. And that's going to be the question on the final exam. And here's Theology 101. God is God and you're not. Okay? If you get that straight, you pass. And if you don't get that straight, you better have no reason for graduating from seminary. Okay? That is... When God created the world or the right relationship between God and man is he's God and you're not. The problem with this world is we've got seven billion little gods running around thinking that the world revolves around them rather than that the world revolves around God. Right. And so we treat other people as if they're uh, obstacles in our world. Right. But if God is God and you're not, uh, that disappears. And so what follows from Theology 101 is Theology 102. Namely, because God is God and you're not, you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. 
And because you're not God, it means everybody else has the same value that you have in this world. And therefore, you're to love your neighbor as yourself. Right? And so we don't just have an evangelistic mandate as members of the kingdom. We also have what I call a social mandate. That is, we are not just asked to help people be reconciled to God. We are also asked to help people be reconciled with one another. Um, think of Micah 6.8 for a second. I don't know if you know that passage, a good one to memorize. He says, uh, this is Micah talking to Israel. He has shown you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. To do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. The evangelistic mandate and the social mandate. Think about James chapter 1. Pure religion and undefiled is this, that you help orphans and widows in their distress and that you keep yourself unstained from the world. Notice that? Fully embracing salvation means not just embracing an evangelistic mandate, but also embracing a social mandate. Okay? Third, I think, there is an environmental mandate. If we are to embrace God's intentions for the world, and one of God's intentions for the world is to reconcile the hostility between man and his environment, Christians of all people need to be uh, good stewards of the environment and um, uh, responsible stewards of the environment. Now, when people hear that, they often get a little freaked out. Um, and I want to reassure you, well, let me give you, I guess, a couple of caveats. I want to reassure you of a couple of things. Number one, I don't know if this is going to reassure everybody. Um, you know, it depends on where you're, where you're speaking, right? Uh, I am politically very conservative and theologically very conservative, okay? So I'm, what I'm not saying, sometimes people hear about an environmental mandate or a social mandate, social justice, things like that. They immediately think political liberalism or something. That's not what I'm talking about. There are uh, uh, problems with political liberalism because it's unbiblical, because it has a, a, a humanistic approach to things, Okay? Because it views humanity as inherently good rather than a fallen, sinful uh, humanity. And kind of takes this naive view of the environment. Kind of the, uh, you know, the grizzly man. Uh, I don't know what that guy's name was. The, the Herzog movie of the guy that went out in the Alaskan wilderness and lived with the bears. Uh, a very naive view. Uh, guess what? Nature is hostile toward humanity. And he, he sure found that out. Or... What is that guy, Chris McCandless, the, the um, into the wild guy that up here in Fairbanks, I guess, this general area, uh, went out and tried to, to uh, live as if nature uh, was not hostile toward humanity, and he found out that it sure was. Okay? I don't want to take that kind of a naive view toward things, but 
But I do want to, to remind you that we need to step away from political conservatism or political liberalism and ask what is a uniquely Christian approach to these issues. And the Bible tells us that Christians ought to embrace social justice as uh, an emphasis of the kingdom of God and even environmental uh, causes, uh, however we're going to define those, as uh, an, uh, a value in the kingdom of God. Okay? We can't just turn a blind eye to those things because we don't like political liberals or whatever. Okay, So we want to ask, how does a Christian approach these things? Um, so that's one mandate, uh, uh, one uh, uh, caveat. Please don't hear political stuff here. I'm trying to ask, what does the Bible have to say about this? And as Christians, we want to submit ourselves to the word of God. Second, I don't want to give the impression that somehow the value of the evangelistic mandate is reduced because of uh, the social mandate and the environmental mandate as well, as if uh, you know, being environmentally responsible is, is as important as leading people to Christ. There's a hierarchy here. Okay? The most important thing, the greatest commandment, has to do with reconciling humanity to God. And the mission of the church is first and foremost to reconcile or help reconcile humanity to God, to get the gospel to uh, lost people. But that doesn't mean that therefore we toss off to the side as unimportant the social mandate and the environmental mandate. All of them are part of the larger salvation, the larger act of reconciliation that God is doing in the world. Okay? And as servants of God, we want to be faithful to the whole task of God, not just part of it. And so uh, sometimes when people hear this, I get uh, the objection that, look, we're not going to establish God's kingdom. When Jesus comes, that's when the kingdom of God will be established. And I agree. That is when the kingdom of God is going to be established. Okay? But it's kind of like my children saying, why clean up my room if it's just going to get messy again? Okay? So the same responses to this kind of objection, I think, are appropriate. First of all, look, the Bible tells us that these things have value in and of themselves. God values humanity. God values his relationship with man. God values harmonious relationships within humanity. God even values the harmonious relationship between man and nature. And therefore, I ought to do it just because it has value to God. And secondly, if I leave the task of reconciling uh, one man to another or reconciling man to nature to Jesus when he returns, I may be uh, helping the world down the slippery slope toward uh, utter destruction. In other words, things are going to get a whole lot worse. Of all people in this world, Christians can insert themselves maybe, I don't know if you've heard this, concept before as salt and light in this world right 
to help preserve things so that they don't go to hell in a handbasket before Jesus returns. So that when my children grow up, the world is not a worse place than it was when I was growing up. Okay? And so, uh, I want to embrace the evangelistic mandate, the social mandate, and the environmental mandate to at least help preserve things in the world before the return of Christ. But obviously, the most important reason is because we want to be servants of the king. We want to be found by God doing his work, uh, embracing his values, interposing his virtues, pursuing his agendas when he comes. Now, let me ask you, by way of application, how are you doing on moving beyond John 3.16? Did you just get a ticket out of hell, but you really haven't recognized that it was a ticket into the kingdom? Are you sort of satisfied with just your personal salvation or maybe interacting with the people in your immediate family or something like that uh, rather than uh, fully embracing all that salvation encompasses, fully embracing all the values and the virtues and the intentions of God? So are you personally involved in helping others be reconciled to God and Here's, oh, it's too late for you to go down and hear, hear Randy. Uh, um, you'll have to get the tapes. If you didn't hear Randy Newman's presentations this weekend, and presumably uh, right now, I, I kind of wanted to um, just leave my notes here and let Eric, Pastor Eric, preach the sermon so I could go down and listen to, to Randy. Uh, incredibly good practical advice on how to... Sh- to share the gospel with people, how to move people along a spectrum, wherever they happen to be, of total hostility, uh, you know, toward the gospel, complete uh, uh, evangelistic atheism, all the way to the guy is just ready to fall on his knees and accept Jesus. Um, Randy was talking about... Um, helping to move people one step at a time along that process. Are you, do you ever think about that? When you uh, talk to others, do you ever think, how can I help move them? I don't need to like, you know, get them to sign on the dotted line right now, but how can I help move them toward being reconciled with God? How can I be a partner with God in this uh, uh in this endeavor of God in the world. Is there someone you know that needs to be reconciled to God? Are you praying for that person? Are you talking to that person? I want you, uh, by way of application, to prayerfully consider one thing you can do this week to help someone know that God desires their fellowship and that, he, that he's made a way for them to live in a proper relationship with him. And then secondly, are you personally involved in helping others be reconciled 
with their fellow man. What do you do when you meet a homeless person? Do you just step over them? Or do you think there's someone created in the image of God who's been isolated or marginalized by society? How can I help that person? You probably aren't going to be able to like turn their life immediately around, but that doesn't mean, therefore, do nothing. How can I help that person? What do you do when you encounter racial hatred? Do you step in and try to be a voice of reconciliation? What do you do when you or your spouse or your child or your friend or your coworker uh, is angry with you or are angry with one another? Do you help to step in and bring the, the virtues of God's kingdom into that and help people be reconciled to each other? We don't want to just see those as kind of normal human relationships. They are normal. They're normal in this fallen world. But you're a citizen of the kingdom of God. You're supposed to live out uh, the virtues and the values of God's kingdom. So I want you to ask prayerfully, what's one thing I can do this week to help someone find justice where they've been wronged? Or compassion where they've been neglected? Or peace where they've been estranged with someone else? And it'll depend on your own situation. Where do you see some of those things in your life and how can you introduce uh, God's kingdom values into that situation? And then third, this sounds a little funny, are you personally involved in helping others be reconciled to nature or to their environment? And all I mean here is, are you concerned about and uh, working toward, in some small or larger way, uh, responsible use of this world? Are you careless with the environment? Do you know others who are abusing the environment in one way or another? Uh, are you uh, even thoughtful about conserving limited resources or anything like that? Do you just throw your Coke can out the window of your car? Um, are you trying to leave this world a better place for the people who are going to come after you, or are you totally unconcerned about that? Okay, it doesn't mean, again, you have to you know, become a tree hugger or whatever that is. It just means you can't be neglectful of that idea, okay? It's something that God embraces. So I want you to prayerfully consider one thing you can do this week to help conserve limited, re limited resources or in some way help repair or uh, uh, treat with respect this natural world that God has put us in. So, these are not options. Okay? Salvation doesn't end with John 3.16. It only begins there. It's my prayer that we would all, and I speak to myself as well, move beyond 
John 3.16 and become better, more full-fledged disciples of Jesus Christ, more fully committed servants of the King. And it's only as we uh, submit ourselves to God's revelation in Scripture and open ourselves to God's movement by His Spirit in our hearts that that's going to happen. So let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And please guide and empower us by your spirit to live and to work to that end until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.